Hi, everybody. I'm Sherry. I'm a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon that includes Alateen. Very proud of that. Um, I, I just appreciate you all inviting me to speak this weekend and um, for Jenny hosting me. And I got my roadies up here. We go back uh, to Alateen Day. So I said, why don't you all stay up there with me? I don't know why them AAs keep leaving everybody up there. <laughs> We don't, we don't act like that now, not. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, I want to thank the taper. I really appreciate him and, uh, the guys that brought me this big old basket to my room and they were so cute. Just like, here, you know, thank you. So, um, you know, it just takes a lot of people to put these things on and a lot of people sacrifice a lot of time and, uh, and it takes all of us to do these things, and um, I appreciate it and get to be a part of it. Also, thank you that um, you happen to do this on the week of uh, Bruce and my 31st wedding anniversary. So, <laughs> and that I can tell you is a miracle, and uh, you'll know why after you hear my story. So, so uh, my home group is Monday Night J-Town Group. meets at uh, 8 o'clock in Louisville, Kentucky. It's uh, the best meeting in Louisville, Kentucky. Don't believe what anybody else tells you. We've got a newcomers group that meets uh, about 45 minutes before that, so we try to take care of those newcomers. And we have a lot of people that are involved in service at that group. I think we've had four or five delegates that have come out of that home group. So... I'm blessed that I, I landed there. It was purely accidental. So so I'm just going to try to jump in here and tell you a little bit. Um, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised, still there today. Haven't moved very far. Um, I was born to two uh, adult children of alcoholics. I understand that both of my grandfathers were alcoholic from my parents. Um, I was also the great-great-granddaughter of a Lutheran minister, yeah, I've got uh, one sister that's two years younger than I am, and um, so that kind of gives you a little bit of the core of my family. And my family did not grow up. I, I didn't see a whole lot of drinking. Now, there was always stuff around, but it sat there for, like, years, some of it. So, uh, you know, they just didn't go through it too quick, and I never saw either one of my parents drunk. Um, so alcohol didn't seem to be an issue to me growing up. Um, I, my childhood was um, really pretty good. You know, I had a really hard-working dad. He worked two jobs most of his life. Uh, he was career Army National Guard. And uh, my mom had various different jobs. And um, I'd say we were a middle-class family. I didn't have everything that I wanted, but, you know, I had, you know, my needs met and uh, really had a pretty good life. Um, you know, I did things like Girl Scouts, and when I got in high school, I was in the drill corps, and we went to church, and you know, just you know, kind of boring stuff, really. So I guess that's what attracted me to alcoholics, because I was bored my whole life. So... <laughs> So uh, I'm, I'm moving through life and, uh, you know, end up graduate from high school. My family didn't um, really do college. I mean, you know, nobody had gone to college in my family. So my destiny was to do uh, just like office work. And I had kind of trained for that in high school. So 
got out of high school and went straight into the uh, workforce when I was 18, at the first summer after I graduated and started working. And, you know, really all that was on my mind is like, okay, so you graduate and then, you know, the next step is you get married, you know, so I'm out there looking for somebody and I'm telling you from the beginning my picker was broke. I mean, it just was. You know, I can see that today, but, you know, I was always uh, attracted to the, the bad guys and stuff like that. So at uh, about 19, I meet this guy from the wrong side of town. My parents hated him, so I knew he had to be Mr. Right. <laughs> so we got married, and um, four months later, we got divorced. He was abusive, and uh, and it was a horrible situation. And somehow, it's hard for a lot of people to believe this about me because they see this outgoing personality. Well, I am 64 now, so you're supposed to grow up at some time. But I was really shy um, in high school and stuff. I was friendly, but, you know, I was real uh, self-conscious and shy. And uh, somehow that that girl had the guts to get out of that in four months. And, and, you know, when I look at back at my inventory, it's like, you know, that was a blessing because um, I really, I, it was only the grace of God that I got out of that mess. So um, I end up, I'm working, I'm moving along in my career, changing some jobs a couple times, and um, about five years later I end up uh, hooking up with a guy that I had gone to high school with. At 25 we got married, and that marriage lasted five years. We had bought a house, and um Six months before he came home Easter night and told me that he didn't want to be married anymore. And, uh, like, okay, we just bought this house. So I'm, uh, 29 years old, getting ready to start my life over again. And, um, I wasn't very happy about that. Um, I moved out of the house probably after about a month and my sister helped me move. And after we got all my stuff over to the apartment, she said, Sherry, where's your guns? I have some guns in my story. Um, and I said, oh, I must, we must have left them back in the house. And, um, and so we drove over to the house that I just moved out of, and she walked up to the door and she said, I want Sherry's guns. And, uh, I, you know, I can't imagine what he must have thought, but he already had his honey in there with him. So he went and got the guns and handed them to my sister, and we drove off. So so here I am, 29 years old, um, you know, got an apartment again. My parents have rescued me again. You know, I'm just thinking, man, they're, they're you know, they just can't get done with me. And and uh, so I'm, you know, advanced in my career. By this time, I'm uh, working for an ad agency, and I love what I'm doing. So that part of my life was good. I was um, taking some, some classes at JCC in Louisville, and. And, uh, but, you know, my picker's broke still, you guys, you know, because I hadn't met you all yet. And uh, so I'm out uh, at uh, a bar one night and uh, go into the girls' bathroom. And, and uh, I come out of the girls' bathroom, and these two guys are standing there. And I've got a hat on, and I like to wear hats and back then. And, and uh, one of the guys says, hey, I like your hat. And I just said, <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I was kind of like sworn off men for about five minutes right then. <laughs> so, and, and I never went to this place. So, uh, so that, you know, was in itself kind of a fluke. But 
so I thought, you know, how your head starts talking to you, and I'm like, well, those guys seemed kind of nice, and they were about my age because it was really a bad night, you guys. It was like Grandpa asked me to dance, and then Dad asked me to dance age-wise. You know, I'm like, man, this is bad. But these guys, you know, were more my age. So, so I don't know, I, I, I started talking to this guy that uh, happens to be sitting up here on the front row looking at me, and... Uh, and so we're dancing, and I love to dance, and he liked to dance, and so we're out there dancing, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we start talking about our lives, and, and he was just getting out of a divorce, and, uh, and his ex-wife, you know, had three children, and my ex had just left me for a married woman with three children. Now, it wasn't the same person. Wouldn't that have been something? But that was one of the first things we had in common. How sick is that, you know? So, of course, he was only on his first divorce. I was already on my second. And then he started telling me that um, he had had a problem with alcohol and that he didn't drink anymore. Well, I'd never heard of such a thing in my whole life. I'm almost 30 years old, you know. And and he said, yeah, I would get in trouble whenever I drank. And um, so, I mean, I just thought that was pretty noble that somebody could even do that. So, um but I'm, I really didn't give it much thought. I was like, whatever, you know, and I might not ever see you again and, and you know, went on. But he did get my phone number. So a couple of days later, I'm home and um, working on studying for my little class that I'm taking. And and I get this phone call from Bruce. He's calling me from a pay phone. And if you're under, like, 30 years old, you can see me after this. I'll explain to you what that is. <laughs> But um, so um, he was just real persistent about wanting to come see me. And he said, well, I'm, I'm just right in your area of town. And he lived over in what's called Middletown in Louisville. And I lived, you know, it was probably 20 miles away or something. And he said, I'm just right in your neighborhood. And I'm like, well, Bruce, you know, I, I mean, you seem like a nice guy and everything, but I just met you. You're really a stranger. And I don't know that I feel comfortable with you coming over to my apartment. Now, I really did not have a lot of boundaries, I'm telling you, at this point in my life. But uh, but I was trying to with, with this guy, you know. And so so he was still, you know, pretty persistent. And we went back and forth a couple times with the conversation. Finally, I said, Bruce, I tell you what, I've got a 38 pistol and I'm not afraid to use it. So if you don't mind coming over knowing that, then come on over, big boy, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, hell, I didn't know that was an invitation to an alcoholic, you know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, and I, you can't make this stuff up, you guys, you know, it's, that is just exactly how it happened. So now he, you know, he laughs, he goes, oh, you wouldn't shoot anybody. I was like, well, I don't know. You never know. So I still had a gun. So anyway, so he came over and, uh, that afternoon and we started our dance, you know, and, uh, and, you know, he, I don't know. I came and tell you a whole lot that happened early on, but, um, you know, we just kind of took each other hostage, I think. You know, we both needed somebody, and we had found each other, and uh, and we were kind of inseparable after that point. And, uh, you know, that really, I mean, it kind of served us both well. We were both working and that, and then uh, within a short period of time, we went and got a house together. 
And then we kind of talked about children and stuff. And, um, you know, I thought, well, it might be nice if we're married, you know, if we're going to have children. And I was still kind of old-fashioned. So, um so anyways, we bought this house and, um, and then eventually we did get married. So, um, you know, and we're just doing this dance and, uh, things seemed to be going okay for a while. And then all of a sudden, um, like one of the big incidences that I remember is I was working for this company and somebody was having this party outside and, and so we went to it and, and on the way there, he said, now, at this point, he had not had a drink for five years. You know, he wasn't working any kind of program. He just abstained. And so uh, he, uh, he said, well, you think it would be okay if I have a beer tonight? I didn't know, you know. I, did, I didn't know about the disease of alcoholism. I would have said, hell no, you know, if I'd known that. <laughs> but then we wouldn't be where we are today, maybe. So <clears throat> I'm grateful, but... You know, that it's crazy how the, the worst times can, you can be grateful for them, you know, later on. But anyway, so we go to this party and we're having a great time and there's a band and, and he goes and gets that first drink and he's fine and he was kind of more shy and reserved and, and I was more outgoing at that point and, and, uh, so he had that beer and, you know, he kind of loosened up and we're out there dancing and then he goes back and gets another one and another one and then, you know, how you just take that dive to gets ugly and I'm saying it's time to go home, you know, and then he pukes in the truck on the way home and, one of the things I'm most proud of, though, anybody in Al-Anon, is I did not clean up that puke. And I had not found Al-Anon yet, but I did have a boundary on that one. So, <clears throat> so you know, I still didn't know what the repercussions of all that was going to be, but it, it set off his disease, evidently. Now, he, you know, the other things that he didn't tell me that night uh, when I met him was that um, he he didn't drink. But he smoked these little funny cigarettes, and he did a little gambling on the side. Now, he didn't mention any of that. So that stuff was going to come out a little bit later, too. So really, um, I think that night may, I don't know, this is just my story and my perceptions, is that kind of set off his disease, you know, it lit him back up again. And then it was like, all bets were off. I mean, he was doing everything. And I didn't see it a whole lot because I tried to stay busy. I was working two jobs most of the time. And, um, and my defense was anger. I just went to anger. I was just pissed at the world. So um, that was how I had to survive. And I had seen that growing up. And uh, so so anyways, we're ticking along. And um, in uh, around December of uh, 92, uh, he had come home from work and... Uh, I think I'd, that's when I'd started, right around then, I'd started my own business. So I was working out of the house by that time. And uh, so he comes home. We had dinner, and uh, then he was getting ready to go back out. And he was had been drinking. I knew I could tell that. And uh, he said, uh, I, and then he, after we ate, he said, well, I'm going to go back out. And I said, well, where are you going? And he said, he said, I'm going shopping. You know, it was right before Christmas. I'm like, you don't shop, you know. <laughs> Where are you really going? So he was going to the gambling place. And, uh, and you know, at this point was when I was starting to hit my bottom because it was like I didn't even care. 
I was just glad that he was going to be gone because I didn't have to deal with him. And um, he was, I was just so angry and mad. And, I, you know, it was like, God, you know, here's number three. And I'm, you know, I'm going down the tubes again. And, um, and just the shame and the guilt and all of it on me. And because, you know, I hadn't really changed and I hadn't done anything different. So he left that night and I went to bed and, and, uh, I don't know, you know, the next morning I got up and he's kind of an early riser and I'm not. And um, so by the time I got up, I didn't, looked around. I'm like, I don't, I didn't see him come home, didn't hear anything this morning. And so I ended up, I called my sister and I said, Judy, I said, I don't think Bruce came home last night. And uh, I said, I swear if he's, if they find him dead, I didn't kill him because, you know, I still had those guns. <clears throat> So I was trying to find a witness, even though that wouldn't have been a good witness. You wasn't there, but I just, I'm telling you all this part, and this is so hard for me to tell. But because of how crazy we get, you know, the alcoholics, when you get in here, you start realizing some of the stuff you've done, but you don't realize the crazy that goes on in our head. So um, I ended up calling his mom. He was supposed to be picking up his mom from the hospital that day. And I did my little Inspector Clouseau routine with her, you know, asking asking her if he had been there without really asking her, you know, how we are so slick. And um, so, no, he hadn't been there. And uh, so then I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at my front door, and I start thinking, well, Okay, getting into reality. Um, well, he could be locked up. You know, he could be in jail. Um, he could be in the hospital. That was another possibility. And then I landed on he could be dead. And you guys, what I did with that is I, I started planning this funeral. And I thought, you know, if that sucker was dead, then I'd be a poor widow instead of divorced again, because it looked to me like that's where we're going to end up. And um, and I started thinking, gosh, I don't even think I could be sad, because this would be the answer to all my problems. That is how sick I was in this disease. About that time, he came walking in the front door. So, <laughs> so just, you know, so that ended that fantasy, but... And nobody would ever know that I thought that, but I've got to tell you guys because it, you know, it, it is just so insidious what this disease does to us. And, um, and I don't even think I knew that it was that bad, but that day he, I, I, and here was another miracle in that I hadn't found you guys yet in Al-Anon. I didn't know I was supposed to keep my mouth shut. I never kept my mouth shut. And he went and laid down, and I did not say a word. That was a miracle. Thank you, God. And um, I went and picked up his mom that day, and I told her, I think your son's got a problem. That was the first time I started coming out of the closet with how bad things were. But something happened to me that day. Um, I knew that something was going to change. I didn't know what was going to change or how it was going to change, but something broke in me that day. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and trusting my higher power, who I choose to call God. And um, we got through the holidays, and then just a 
couple weeks after the holidays, I, I was in a Rotary meeting at the time. I was a member of a Rotary club, and, and they had this uh, guy that came in that spoke. And he was talking about this employee assistance person stuff and helping people when they have trouble. And I, I really kind of didn't understand it all, but I was listening to him. And, and what was in my head was to go up and ask him about a totally different situation that I had been around recently, just to ask him a question. And instead, I went up to this total stranger and said, I think my husband's got a problem. And um, he gave me his card that day. Now, I didn't know that this guy was um, an ex-con, and he was an AA undercover. So that's who he was. And, uh, and you know, saying he was an EAP per No, he really was. But, um, I mean, I didn't know any of that. So, so he gives me his card, and I call him like that day. I think I went to meet with him the next day. And uh, we get to talking, and um, and then he's telling me what his plan is for me. I'm like, wait a minute. He's the one with the problem. Now you're going to send me to classes? You know, so here I go. So here I go to start going to these classes on one night a week. And there's this precious Al-Anon man there that's, you know, talking about Al-Anon. I wasn't really at an Al-Anon meeting yet, but he was telling me about Al-Anon and so I start going to that, and and then I can't keep my mouth shut because I, I was doing this for like a six-week period, like I think like on a Monday night or something, and and uh, every once in a while I'd have to come home and bring some of my wisdom that I'd learned at that meeting, you know, and just like drop a bomb on Bruce, just see if he was paying attention. Like, do you know if the police came here and they found pot in our house that I'd get arrested too? You know, just something nonchalant like that. So... <laughs> So, you know, again, crazy. So, um, so I end up, uh, you know, just keep going to these things. And we had this wonderful vacation plan that his parents had invited us on. Now, I don't even like the guy. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen to us. I've got to go to these stupid classes. They're not making him do anything. And I'm going to go on this wonderful vacation with him. So I wasn't sure how that was going to all work out. So we go to this on this vacation. Well, now I'm really dangerous. I've got some knowledge. So I'm watching him drink. And I'm counting them too, buddy, you know. <laughs> so. So again, I'm just so crazy. So, um, so we got through that week, and sometime during that week, I got to pull his mom off to the side and and tell her that I really thought he had a problem that we might be doing an intervention on him. So, she uh, said, uh, "Well, we want to be a part of it." So we waited till they got back in town, and we had um, his parents, my parents, my sister, our next door neighbor, and uh, the best friend that was with him the night that I met him. And we had a planning meeting at my parents' house. And then the next night, I was supposed to take him out to dinner. And then it was going to be at our home. And he was going to come home and everybody was going to be there. And we all had to write letters to him. and, And that had all been, you know, fleshed out, you know, the night before we had our practice. So of all places, I've asked him to meet me at a Mexican restaurant. And I was so sick. I mean, because my stomach was killing me, I knew it was coming. I probably went to the bathroom three or four times during dinner. And um, I'm going to tell his this part of his story. He loves to tell this, and the alcoholics will love it, is um, 
So we were finishing up dinner, and we had a timeline. He didn't know that. And um, they said, would you like some dessert? And um, Bruce kind of winked at me, and he told the waitress, he said, uh, I think we'll get our dessert when we get home, because he thought he was getting back in with me because we had gone out to dinner. He was going to get some dessert, all right, but it wasn't exactly the kind that he thought, so... So we had had met there, so I get home first, and then he pulls up in the driveway, and all the cars are hidden, so he has no idea, and I come in the house first and go downstairs, and he walks in, and and Ron says, uh, hey, sees him come in, he goes, hey, Bruce, come on down here, you know, and so we, we have the intervention, and thank God that he... Uh, he said he would go with Ron that night to to go detox and uh, go to treatment, and I'm telling you, I I tell that that's not Al-Anon, you know, it's not even AA, and uh, but and a lot of times that does not work out, but for whatever reason for us it did, um, or it still has, you know, for the last uh, 27 years been working out one day at a time. So, um, so I'm so blessed that we had that. <laughs> Yeah, that worked for us. And uh, and Ron was he he just was he was my angel. A lot of people in Louisville um, had different opinions of him all over the place, but I, I always called him my angel. So um, so we after he went through his detox, we uh, again just a little crazy of me. So. You know, I did all that. I was so angry. Then he goes out the door. He's gone. Everybody else is gone that was there. Shut the door. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be mad at me. You know, (laughs) I mean, just, you know, that we're just nuts when we, you know, before we get some recovery. So anyways, that started. We started on a six-week thing and um, went to uh, um, classes every night, four nights a week, three hours every night for six weeks. And uh, it was pretty intense. And then we had to go to meetings on the weekend. But it, it gave us a great foundation. Again, I'm really grateful for that. Um, one of the things that, you know, Bruce, we were starting to, like, pray together. We would come home to not, at night and uh, read the big book. We'd take turns reading the big book to each other. And um, we really refounded our relationship and our marriage on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I hadn't really gotten into Alan on a whole lot yet. I was going to like one meeting a week at that point. So, um, but, you know, we, we were supposed to read it for this class. So, you know, that was just a part of it. So, um, anyway, so, um, at that point then, finally we get out of that, and so I can, oh, my very first Al-Anon meeting, I'll tell you about that. So I went, and he was going to an AA meeting, so I went over here to this Al-Anon meeting, and the meeting was on gratitude, and that I was, I was able to share with them that I was grateful that my husband had, had had a problem bad enough to get my attention, to get me in recovery. And um, I'm, I'm truly grateful for that today. So um, so that was my very first meeting. And then once we got through with our six weeks, then we were trying to look at a meeting that we could go to at the same time and that had AA and Allen on meeting, and, and it was kind of close to our house, and they kept talking to us about getting a home group. And, and um, so we found this, you know, this meeting close to our house, and, um, and 
and we started going to that because they had an AA and Al Anon meeting, and and I'm so that is just such a God thing because uh, my sponsor was there that I still have today after 27 years, um, just so many people involved in service. And, I mean, it was just a good home group. That doesn't happen for everybody the first time out. And I do go to other meetings, too, but that's still been uh, one of my mainstays. Um, when I got, uh, after they, you know, told us to uh, get a sponsor, I, I was at a meeting one day, and, and this gal was uh, talking about when she first came in something about, she would hear people talk about hating their mother, and I had mom issues, and so that kind of got piqued my interest. And and then she had been in a car wreck, um, and her uh, baby daughter had died from the car wreck. And when I was 10 years old, uh, my mom was taking my grandmother out uh, for a ride in Louisville. She had, had a cast on her foot, and my sister and I were in the back seat, and we were going around a 90-degree turn, and a drunk driver hit us head-on, and my grandmother died that night from internal injuries. So that was another thing that uh, the woman that turned out to be my sponsor that we had in common. And, um, you know, I know today that that alcoholic did not wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go kill Sherry's grandmother. And, uh, you know, I know that that person was sick and probably in a blackout, didn't even know what they were doing. But that's part of my story. And, you know, I, every once in a while I get to share with an alcoholic that can't, hasn't been able to make an amends to somebody. And I can say, I can forgive you, you know, because it happened to me. And uh, so so I got this sponsor, and um, I'm like this eager beaver, you know, really wanting to jump into recovery. And, and um, I tell her, because in treatment we did the first three steps, so... Like, as far as I know, I'm on the fourth step, you know. So I tell her, I'm, I'm on the fourth step. You know, I'm, I'm around six weeks, right? Yeah. I know it's pretty funny, yeah. Even for AAs, right? Probably. So, and, you know, she was just trying to, you know, like, okay, honey, you know. Just, and then finally she said something like, you know, well, just write it out and, uh, you know, we'll, you know, do it, but we won't call it a four step. And, you know, and I'm so arrogant, you know, that I'm like, oh, gosh, what's wrong with her, you know. So, and, and when I, you know, part of my arrogance too, when I first went to the Al-Anon meetings and they talked about being powerless, I'm like, well, you all might be powerless, but hey, I got him here, so I don't know about you all. <laughs> But, you know, it didn't take me too long to figure out, oh, but I can't keep him here. Ah, okay, yeah, I got it. So, but I was, and I know those things were defenses, you know, of mine that I needed to survive uh, and that uh, God has removed a whole, whole bunch of that today, one day at a time. I think you'll have to ask her but uh, and my husband. But anyways, so... Uh, at my home group, about a year after I started there, they started Alateen meeting. And um, I have always loved teenagers. I know I'm weird, but I just always did, always connected with them. And uh, so every once in a while after they started the meeting, they'd need somebody to sit in, and I'd go sit in the meeting, and, and I just loved it. And I was like the first one to raise my hand whenever they needed to volunteer. And 
After another year went by, they um, somebody had to quit that was a sponsor, and they asked me if I would step in, and I said yes. I, well, I think I said yes. I, I was supposed to talk to my sponsor and pray about it or something, you know, but I think I did that backwards. But anyways, I started volunteering, and uh, I just loved being with those Alateens, and uh, that was just a big, big part of my probably really my first 10 years in the program, was given a whole lot to Alatine. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And and uh, Bruce and I are going along, and, um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, that at the beginning we were kind of like on this pink cloud for I'd say probably about a year. And then it was almost like we both had to, like, go to our corners and, like, we had to dig in and deep, you know, work our programs. And um, and we still went to meetings together and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we just we had a lot to work through, both of us did, I think. So um, I'm trying to think where I want to go. But anyways, uh, I had um, a hysterectomy. Um, I don't know, a few years into the program, and I was working with Alateens at the time, and at this point I'm, you know, I don't know, 38 years old, something like that, and I'd always wanted to have kids, and we had talked about it, and it had never happened, so so I have the hysterectomy, and... Um, and I'm even able to see, God, you are so cool because I, I can never have kids of my own. But you gave me Alateens, and uh, thanks for letting me serve them, you know. So it was kind of like I accepted that, that he had had worked that out. So um, a few years later, you know, I'm still going along doing Alateen and other stuff and um, getting involved. I, I got involved from the very beginning, and, and really one of my first meetings that I went to, I thought, I've got to keep coming back because I want to be there for those other people that come in. And I saw that from the very beginning in the 12th step. So um, Bruce and I are talking. Every once in a while I would say something to him about, you know, well, what do you think about adoption? And uh, he, you know, was a little uh, strong about it. His answer was always, it's either my blood or no blood. So that was kind of final, sounded like to me. Not a lot of room for movement there. So, uh, so I finally, uh, one day it was like God had just put it on my heart so strong. Sherry, just ask him one more time. I promise that this will be the last time. And I'm like, oh God, I don't want to do that. He, you know, he's going to say the same thing. And, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to ask him. This is it. So I say, Bruce, what do you think about adoption? He said, well, I've been thinking about it too. I'm like, what? <laughs> I knew God had changed his heart, you guys. I mean, that was the only explanation. And um, so we talked about it, and we got uh, down on our knees, and we prayed over a check that we had to write to start the process. We said, God, we got a lot of baggage. We're old. We're 44 years old at this point. We got some recovery, I don't know, seven, eight years or whatever. And, but... Um, you know, we're not perfect. We got divorces, you know. I mean, we're all these things that I would think would be against you. And it's like, but we're willing, and if we're supposed to do it, then you'll let it happen. Nine months later, you guys, we were on a plane going to Ukraine. 
two months after September 11th hit America. We were going over there. So um, we uh, had some people in our church that, you know, a bunch of them that um, were adopting from Ukraine. There was just this connection. And um, and we really said that we'd like an older child because, you know, at 44, I wasn't sure about a baby, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and stuff like that. So, but, you know, it was God's deal, not our deal. So uh, we get to uh, Ukraine, and uh, we we get into Kiev, and, oh, gosh. I mean, I could tell you a whole story just on, on that part of, the, of our life. But uh, we fly the next day down to uh, Simferopol, down to Crimea, where the Russians have kind of taken back over again now. And we went to an older kid's orphanage. And... Uh, so we went to uh, visit, I think it was like an afternoon, and uh, we met two kiddos. We met uh, Anna and we met uh, Vitaly. And they both told us about the kids, and, um, you know, they really were pushing Vitaly because he was really smart, and he was a little bit younger than Anna. And, and uh, you know, we talked to Anna, and after she left, the director of the orphanage said, oh, it's really sad. Both of her parents were alcoholic. And my heart just leaped. I was like, cool, we know all about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right there, really, I mean, I would it was a done deal, sort of, for me. But you all taught us to think about it and pray about it and, you know. All that good stuff. So we decided to do that and told the orphanage director that we'd be back the next day with our decision. So, so we did. We went back the next day and I asked Anna in Russian. I had the little lady that we stayed with in Ukraine, uh, spoke English really well. So she helped me spell out phonetically, you know, will you be our daughter? Um, and I asked her that in Russian. And she said yes, and uh, so we went outside the orphanage after that, and we were sitting, and Bruce was going to take a picture of us, and I had a cross on, and they had told us over there not to wear a cross, that, you know, that could be a bad thing. I said, I don't care. That's what's given me the courage to do this. I'm wearing my cross. So I had my cross, and Anna could see it. And as we're, Bruce is getting ready to take the picture, Anna reaches down to her coat and she pulls out this tiny little thread and she pulls it out and it was a cross on it. And, um, and she says, Mama, Isus. So the first words I understood my daughter to say was Mama, Jesus, cause that's what Isus is in Russian. And, um, so that was amazing. And later she was able to tell us that uh, she had two older sisters. We didn't know a lot of this stuff at the time until she, cause she only spoke Russian. Um, so when she could start speaking and telling us some of what had happened, uh, they had taken her two older sisters and her out of their home. And then eventually they split her from her two older sisters. And, and that was the, at the orphanage where we got her from. And what, but before they left, being the three of them together at the one orphanage, they had gone to missionaries and that were there giving out crosses. And the one sister had gone back three times so that each one of them had their own cross. And uh, she still got that little cross today. That was the only possession that child had. We had to even 
take off the clothes that she was wearing in the orphanage and buy her new clothes and leave those behind. So that's the only thing that she has in the world um, from her other life. So, um, so yeah, and I'm telling you what, the, the people in recovery during that time, um, I just can't even tell you. My sponsor was the... The biggest one, uh, when we got home, uh, I think there was a bike in her room and I mean, just, it was just unbelievable all the things that uh, people did for us and loved on us and loved her and accepted her. And, um, you know, it was, it was a miracle. Um, and it was exhausting and it was hard. <laughs> it's, it's, sounds like a fairy tale and it wasn't a fairy tale. So, uh, there were some tough times in it, but um, I'm not sorry that we did it at all. Um, it was a blessing. Um, about a year after that, we uh, she had to have open heart surgery, and so we went through that. And um, but right when she first came back to America, and uh, then you know next week I was the Alateen sponsor, so I took her to Alateen. And, I, you know, I heard somebody ask today, you know, how do you get them to go to an Alateen meeting, you know, and I just take them, you know. <laughs> I'll see you in an hour. I'm over here at my meeting, you know. I'll be back. So, I mean, and, of course, I was in there with her. She couldn't even speak Russian. She didn't even come out of her coat for weeks, I think. She kept her hood on her uh, coat on and everything else. But eventually she warmed up to him and... I decided it was time for me to step down from being a sponsor because I didn't want to be in the meeting where my daughter was. I wanted to give her a chance to kind of spread her wings. So, um, so I bowed out of that. Um, and you know, life went, went on. Um, you know, I, um, Bruce and I, uh, I think we did a pretty good job. We tried to, to teach her, you know, our beliefs and, and we kept her involved in the program and, Oh, the one thing I was going to tell you about is right after she came, we were at this convention here in, uh, in Bowling Green. That was the first uh, AA convention that she went to. We brought her here, and uh, we, we found out that she could swim at this convention. We took her to the pool, and uh, Bruce's sponsor, uh, Ed M. from Iowa at the time, uh, was speaking here. So we all came down for that. So so that that was just kind of a... This place is really special. These people here in Bowling Green to me uh, are all pretty special. And I want you all to know that um, you all have a special connection, AA and Al-Anon here, and uh, that's very apparent, and that's not always the case. And you all really work well together. So there's, like, a lot of camaraderie and support of each other, and I really appreciate that a lot. So... so. Um, about five years ago, um, Anna was kind of grown up. I don't know if she had gotten married yet, uh, but she was, you know, grown up. And um, and Bruce had this uh, little surgery that uh, they were wanting him to do that they thought, uh, you know, they'd just go in and do this small little surgery and that, uh, you know, he'd be out, like, uh, soon and uh, wasn't a big deal. And... Uh, you know, I have um, had the privilege of just having so much support and love um, with everything that I've walked through in, in the last 27 years. And um, all the people that were going to be at the hospital with me that day, 
um, nobody could get there because it was an ice storm. And Bruce and I had actually spent the night at a hotel the night before so that we could make sure to get there because he was really in bad shape. He was hurting in a lot of pain, and so we wanted to get the surgery done. So it was just me and God and then all the prayers of all those people that couldn't be there with me physically. And um, so after a couple of hours, I started thinking, well, gosh, this seems like it's going on for a long time. And I finally went up to the desk and said, hey, you know, what's going on? And they said, well, the doctor will be out. And it's taken longer than she thought, and uh, she'll be out shortly. I said, okay. I said, so then they called me back there, and and here's this. I, I did not know the woman before, but um, she's a world-renowned doctor, trainer, travels around the world, teacher. Um, she knows her stuff. And she takes me into this room, and she shows me a picture on her phone and said, Sherry, I'm not sure what this was, but he had a mass in him the size of a honeydew melon, and I just did a cancer surgery on him on the spot. And uh, I was like, man, if she doesn't know what it is, and she has all this experience, and she said, I think it's Hodgkin's lymphoma, but um, I'm not really sure. They're testing it. I said, okay. So... um, you know, we just kick into action. You know, we just do the next right thing. Uh, and so, you know, we, it was about getting him to his room and getting him comfortable because he was in a lot of pain. And, um, you know, and then at some point, I'm, I'm sure I was texting or, you know, telling, calling people, telling them what was going on. And, and again, just the outpouring of love and support from this fellowship and, and really in our church too, but the fellowship is just like unmatched. Um, just how people walked beside us, went to appointments with us. Um, you know, the guy told me, um, about a week later, you know, that he, they finally diagnosed it that it was Hodgkin's lymphoma and, uh, you know, they were going to start treatment and, it was in a couple major organs, and um, honestly, you guys, I, I flashed back to that night when I thought about his funeral, and now I was really looking at it, because I didn't think he was going to make it from what they were telling me. But, you know, I don't know anything. We have a great God, and um, I know it doesn't happen for everybody, but... For whatever reason, he wasn't done with Bruce Hoke yet. So one day at a time, over six months, we started going to chemo treatments and, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And I didn't have to do anything by myself. You guys were there every step of the way um, from bringing us food to sitting with me at the hospital, uh, sending him cards. I mean, it was just unbelievable outpour and um that you know the only way we can repay it is to repay it forward to other people so but um you know he's here today and um i mean i'm still amazed i really am because um you know he's doing well and um you know, when people, you know, what, how I can use that today is when people call me and they're get, they're starting on one of those roads that I can just say, just take it a day at a time because we, you know, we don't know. And, um, and that's what we did and we were well prepared because of this program to just walk through it, you know. So, um, 
it's not something that you ever plan, but, um, you know, it, it just, things happen. Um, so as delegate, um, I've, I've been on this thing for, um, it, it was, a, they call it a thought force. It's a committee and, and you're working on a project over the last year and, and the one that they put me on was thought force, fear of change. <laughs> And uh, I was like, I don't know, who likes change? I, you know, probably none of us do, to, you know, totally. But it has just been wild that that's what they had me on. And um, our daughter's gotten divorced. Uh, Bruce and I both had situations with our, our jobs. And um, I actually put a resume together probably about six or eight months ago and started a little part-time job and um, just all these different changes that that have happened in our in our life in the last uh, year and you know with God's help and these programs we can get through anything one day at a time and uh, and that's all I got to know I just really don't have to go any farther than that so um, I think I think I'm about done. I never know exactly what's going to come out. Um, I will tell you this, that because uh, a lot of people come up and ask me this afterwards, the tally, the little boy that we did not adopt, that was really hard, and we prayed for him and hoped that he would get adopted. And, again, you cannot make this stuff up. So a couple months later, uh, some of the adoptive parents called me and said, hey, will you call so-and-so down in Georgia? They just adopted. And I said, sure. And it's kind of like how we do in the fellowship. You know, you just help other people. So I called the woman up, said, oh, I hear you all just adopted, how it's going, you know. And so I'm sharing with her, and I said, oh, well, who'd you adopt? And they adopted Vitaly. <laughs> said, well, we're coming to Louisville in a couple weeks. And uh, and uh, so we met at McDonald's, and that little booger um, came up to me, and he looked at me, and, I mean, he hadn't been around English that much yet, but he came right up to me, hadn't seen me since that day, uh, you know, when we saw him at the orphanage, and he said, you know, pick me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did, and it broke my heart. Uh, and I just said, Vitaly, we were praying for you. He looks just like his adoptive dad. Um, so he's where he was supposed to be. But for him to, you know, be able to say that to me, I mean, how powerful is that? You know, and, uh, and then just one more connection to that same family. Uh, a few months later, I was still out teen sponsor or they're helping or something. And this woman, um, comes in well it was the mom and she had her two teenage daughters bringing them stepdaughters or something bringing them to Alateen so and I didn't even know the woman before all this so anyways you know you just can't make this stuff up so God's busy and uh, I just thank you all for listening I love you all and uh, just keep doing what you're doing Thank you.